America got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Wow, James. You've got some groovy moves, my friend. Thank you, Mr. Avalon. Please call me Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. James, what are you doing? Get up. How many times have I done this, man? A thousand, maybe two thousand. Exactly. Now, the first and only time I ripped my pants got to be in front of all these white folk. <laughs> <laughs> in a white boy sweater. <laughs> my bass and my drum spread all over this cold flow. <laughs> Go get me a towel. Yes, sir, boss. <laughs> you bomb back! on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show, where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus Acco, and I want to start off today's show by saying, I know it's a little bit late because it's been uh, news that's been circulating a, a while, but we've been off for a bit. I want to use this opportunity to say, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Um, David Campbell, and I too want to say, Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, you're going to be missed. You went far too young. Absolutely. I mean, it was, I, I remember when I heard that news, heard the news, and it was, it was, it was literally, the, I woke up, it was a Saturday, it was a Saturday, um, that bank holiday Saturday, woke up, looked at my phone, and the first notification on my phone was, I had to read it twice. It was the fact that Chadwick Boseman had died of, uh, I believe, colon cancer. Yeah, colon cancer. And it was like, and and you know how you see things when something happens and you flash back and you see the pattern of various things that you had dismissed in the past and you're wondering how you didn't see it at first. And it kind of struck me because going back a few a few months before that, like a good few months, half a year before that, um, I know half a year. This was around when COVID kind of started. Um, that's almost been a year, half a year. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a, an Instagram video that he put out, and he was it, it was basically him promoting and again social. You know, the whole social distancing distancing thing had just started. People had just been locked down, and he was using the opportunity to promote a project that a friend of his was on, uh, like a clothing project. I can't remember exactly what it was, but when you watch the video you saw how really skinny he was and it was almost emaciated right and the the comments of that video were flooded with dude are you okay you don't look too well and so on and there was because there was no real confirmation as to what was going on there was sort of a back and forth about uh, maybe he's ill maybe he has covid 
maybe, and then other people saying, actually, no, maybe he's just preparing for a role. That's why he had to lose a lot of weight. And then other people were saying, no, 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 you don't know Chadwick. If you'd followed him from back in the day, he's actually a naturally skinny guy. He put on weight for Black Panther. And that kind of makes sense, right? You know, people right. like um, Christian Bale and whatnot, they fluctuate with their body weight in order to suit the role they're in. And then after that, Spike Lee's uh, The Five Bloods got dropped with Chadwick Boseman in it, playing a soldier in the Vietnam War. And that, you know, his, his, I don't know, gait or his body shape kind of fit what it was because obviously he's a young, lean soldier in there. So that kind of, well, oh, okay, fair enough, that's what it was. It, it, he was skinny because he was playing a role. And then that drops and it's sort of, I mean, he, he was, he was age 43. He was from, born in 1976, 2020. Uh, he found out he had colon cancer in 2016. The next thought then was, wait, hold on. 2016 was when he found out that he was ill. And then you go back through his <clears throat> work. And uh, it just, just as you and I were talking just before uh, we started recording, uh, looking at his, his, looking at IMDb, looking at all his body of work, if we were to just discount, so, so we say 2016 is when he got the news. Now, IMDb obviously have the years that were, the roles that he was in when they were, they were dropped. Let's discount anything that was released in 2016 because we all know what the movie making industry is like. You can't just make a movie in the same year and drop it, big movies especially. I mean, you can, but you know what I'm saying. Some of those movies might have taken a couple of years to make. So let's, let's discount things like Captain America Civil War, where he first popped up as T'Challa, Black Panther. Let's discount that because that was released in 2016. Let's say it took a year to make that movie and so on. Uh, we'll discount Gods of Egypt because, again, maybe another year before then. Uh, Message from the King, which is a great, brutal revenge action type um, or man on a mission type stuff. If you haven't seen it, go and check out Message from the King on Netflix. It's great. Again, 2016. Let's discount that. Now. Marshall, where he plays Thurgood Marshall. That was dropped in 2017. That has actually been released as a fact that he had already had his diagnosis at that point. So there's Marshall. Then we have Black Panther, which was shot in 2016, obviously after um, Civil War. And then it got released in 2017, or 2018. So he definitely had, uh, he definitely knew he was, uh, he was ill at that point. We have Avengers Infinity War, Endgame, 21 Bridges, and then the Five Bloods, and then one that hasn't come out yet, which is Ma Raimi's uh, Black Bottom, which is coming out soon. So that's going to be the last time anyone sees him on screen, I guess. Um, and then you start to think all of these, and, and you think, the man made seven or eight movies while going through that and kept it so quiet. Every, you, you didn't go back and watch every interview that he was in, and you think, wow, with the with with the smile and the joy that he brought to people who were who who loved him and watched him on screen, you could see that smile. And I always thought every time I saw him in interviews and I saw him on game shows and stuff like Saturday Night Live and stuff, he always still carried that real gravitas about him. He's like, yes, he's he's T'Challa everywhere he was going. Right? You could you couldn't pull that away. And now I'm just thinking. That was because look at what he was carrying behind him. He didn't want to say to anybody and didn't want to depress anybody. And yet he wanted to entertain people. And then again, like I've said, all these things start falling to place. And I start to think perhaps maybe that's the reason why 
Um, if those of you who watched Avengers Infinity War, not going to go too much into it, no spoilers or whatever. Um, he's one of the people who got snapped and obviously he snapped back and so on and so forth. Maybe that was the reason that that happened. Maybe had he not had this diagnosis, had that not happened, um, T'Challa would have played a bigger part in Endgame. You see what I mean? You start to put all these things, these questions start to roll and you start to think and it's like, it gets you to start questioning your mortality. And I know I'm going on a rant and this is not what you're tuned in. You're all tuned in to listen to us talk about films and television shows and I'm uh, of you with that but in, you know um what i would like to do is maybe in the next week next week or something like that david if this is if this is okay with you maybe we can uh, sort of the next couple of weeks watch some of his movies and our top five for next week or in a week's time would be top five chadwick boseman films what do you think oh that's a good idea all right that's a good idea because um, i need to catch up with a, a few of myself i mean i have seen the five bloods and obviously i've seen uh, the black Black Panther film and Infinity War and Endgame, but um, I, I could do with watching Twenty One Bridges, Message from the King, as you say, as well. But also Get On Up, which I still haven't seen, and I was gonna. It had been on my list to watch. I just hadn't gotten round to it. And I mean, he did the Kill Hole as well with um, oh gosh, um, Billy Zane and. Um, Tory Kittles, I think it was. So yeah, just to watch a, a bit of his earlier work as well. And he started as Jackie Robson in 42. It's, it's a baseball game, which uh, a baseball movie, but you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like for his, the rise of his career was basically representing, you know, very big black uh, or African-American characters. Jackie Robinson, you mentioned, Get On Up, which was uh, James Brown. Brown, yeah. Thurgood Marshall, and then to just cap the whole thing off, Black Panther. I mean, yeah, fictional, but still, Black Panther is like he's he's the he's the epitome of of Af of African. I mean, he's 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 the he's the greatest African superhero. I'm gonna say this now. People are gonna argue and say, no, that's Blade. No, it's Hancock. Whatever. I don't care. Black Panther is the is the epitome. He's the king of all. Um, so if you, if you want to look at like Superman as being like the greatest superhero of all time, again, people are going to argue, people say Batman, it doesn't matter. When, it, when If we're looking in terms of race, uh, Black Panther is the king for when it comes to African, uh, you know, superheroes. And he, that's what he plays. American. Well, he's uh, T'Challa's not African-American, but I just wanted to point out, you know. Right. That, okay. Yeah. I, I know there are going to be tons of people who are like, what about the Caribbean? What about Jamaica? I'm like, okay, look from African descent, okay? You okay. know what? Well, or, put it this way. Um, I mean, if people are gonna argue, um, ask them to name five African, African-American, African descent <laughs> um, superheroes. And I think they'll struggle to get past three. Steel, played by Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal. No, 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 don't, men, don't include him in that list. It's just, it, 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 there's, there's a, because I remember the rant that, remember when Black Panther came out? Uh, you were on the show at that point. Yeah. They came out and um, I came on the show and I did a, um, I, I came in and I, I asked you guys, I was like, look, is it okay if I do a rant at this point about different, and it was about, it was because when Black Panther came out, there was this whole argument online about um, why is Black Panther given such, um, such praise and such, is held in such lofty standards because, you know, it's good, there's got a black superhero in it. And the reason I was, I was pissed, well, I was angry about that was because a lot of comparisons was like, look, you've had other black superheroes before, like Blade and Hancock and 
Steel, which is Shaquille O'Neal. And if you watch this, if you watch Shaquille O'Neal, I watched it back in the 90s. And I'll be honest, I liked it back in the 90s, but that's because I didn't know any better. <laughs> I rewatch it. It's like, come on, man, really? Has Ray J and has uh, Richard Rudd in it. But anyway, so we're going to do that. We'll, we'll do, in the next couple of weeks, we'll do top five Chadwick Boseman movies, top five favorite Chadwick Boseman movies. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm David Campbell. Uh, this week, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to move on to another filmmaker, Tim Barrow, who's talking to us about his schizophrenic romance drama called Riptide. He'll be telling us all about it. And then we'll jump in to do my top five favorite films and TV shows. Or not, not films, but TV shows that I've been binging this period. And David, if you have your top five as well, we can do that as well. If not, we, you can just share maybe top three. Uh, of the <laughs> One thing I will say to the uh, listeners is, um, obviously, our interview with Tim was done up a Zoom. So please forgive us when you, if you get, if you notice any dropouts, it's not our fault. <laughs> Unfortunately, the connection to Scotland isn't, wasn't brilliant. So sometimes we had a little bit of difficulty. I'm going to give you kudos, producer Dave, because you worked hard to fix it. <laughs> to <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if it was me, I would have just said, yeah, let's just scrap it and get a second episode. But no, I wouldn't do that to Tim. Tim's a lovely director, actor, producer, uh, and his film, Riptide, definitely needs to be championed. So I just wanted to put that out there. We're going to put uh, details of the film in the show notes. But anyway, let's jump into film and TV news. <laughs> listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm David Campbell. And we have a actor, director, producer. Uh, please tell us your name and the latest film that you are working on. My name is Tim Barrow and my new film is called Riptide. Now, Tim, just before we start talking about Riptide, um, you were part of a film that we have been championing a lot for a couple of years, Guardians. You got to work with... <laughs> Mark, uh, Mark Brown and Dave Whitney, uh, friend, they're, they're friends of the show. We love their work. Um, tell us, how did you get involved with Guardians? And for those people who've watched the film, who do you play in Guardians? Oh, I play Hugo, who is one of the lads who breaks into the house um, with disastrous consequences. Um, it was an absolute joy to be part of uh, I, I love those guys. Mark's brilliant, and he's been he's been making short films for a long time and some really cracking pieces. So I really wanted to work with him if possible. And David's a really good pal of mine, who I've worked with in theatre and on screen. Um, so it was it was tremendous fun. And when Mark sent me the script, I went, "Yeah, yes, please, cool. Can I come and do it? That'd be great." And we shot in their amazing house in Limehouse, and it's terrific. And it's also for. Um, I mean, it's crossing all sorts of different genres, but it really, really made me laugh. Have you, is, this, is this the first time you've worked with Mark or have you worked on other projects with him? No, I haven't worked with him before. Um, I've always known his work and I've seen lots of his short films. Um, and I was living in London from 2005 to 2011. So I used to see Mark quite a lot. Um, and go to short film nights uh, and see what he was working on and chat with him, have drinks with him. 
and he's terrific and he's someone who just gets stuff done he's kind of prolific absolutely because he's a he's a writer director he's i know he one of his um he's currently workshopping one of his uh his horror comedies at the moment can't wait to have him back in the studio but just wanted to just wanted to touch on that a little bit just to give him a little shout out as well but let's focus on you because uh, you are a writer director in your own right writer director actor and you have a film called Riptide. Um, can you tell us what is Riptide about? Okay, so Riptide is a schizophrenia love story road movie. It's set in Scotland. Um, it's contemporary. Uh, I'm an actor, yes, so uh, I wanted to be in it. Um, and But also with the last film, I uh, directed it too, wrote and directed it. So that made perfect sense um, as, as someone to drive the film into creation but to be there um constantly producing and making sure that actually um happened uh it was something that i certainly wanted to do uh and in terms of schizophrenia it's um it's kind of i don't have any first-hand experience of schizophrenia and none of the cast did either um so it was really important for us to Go and research what schizophrenia is and what it isn't and be aware of all the myths and stigma associated with it. Uh, so we worked for about six years researching um, and, and one of the highlights of that was actually working at the Royal Edinburgh Hospital with people, uh, people who, who stay there and as well as people who work there um, in medicine and understanding just what this condition is is uh it's kind of wrong to call it a disorder because some people with schizophrenia don't see it as a disorder we were saying and also why we're doing it i think film and art can be quite guilty of taking people's very personal stories and um and using them for their own purposes so and whilst we're doing that we had to make sure that we're working with sensitivity and dignity uh, and also trying to tell something that's authentic but hopeful and positive there's got to be a good reason for putting it out there into the world and luckily, when we started screening it, we found that people really, really, really liked it and really wanted to talk about that it felt authentic to them and, and also then share personal stories of their own mental health um, history. So that, that's something amazing and just shows, I guess, what film, if you strike a chord, it can actually do to audiences in, in some sort of, I don't know, doing some good or enlightening somehow. And it's good that you mentioned how much time you researched it because one of the points I was going to raise was the fact that you have uh, sort of when you come talk about stories with schizophrenia, a lot of people complain that you don't actually get the right, uh, you know, it, there are certain tropes and certain uh, ideas that are used for that particular subject matter. What did you find from other movies about schizophrenia are completely wrong compared to the research that you discovered? Um, schizophrenia as defined is nothing to do with a split personality and that's a real myth that's been built up in all sorts of ways I mean, and you can see the fascination that filmmakers or artists have with that idea it's very alluring and of course the stories to be told about people who assume different identities or there's some sort of medical conditions that lead to that um, but schizophrenia is very much about uh, hearing voices that's one of the biggest symptoms. Um, although now, I mean, it, it just shows how far medicine keeps developing because I, I think there's some people who 
no longer recognise schizophrenia as as one specific disorder um, or condition, and it's broken down into far more specific um, conditions. So, but as soon as you say to filmmakers, all right, it's principally about hearing voices, that automatically leads us to go, well, that's that's a really interesting way of telling stories, and it's ripe for um, trying to document in an auditory way someone's experience of the world when they're hearing voices and it's mixed perhaps with uh, memories, dreams, flashbacks and that's something that really appealed to me as a filmmaker this kind of collage of influences and voices and sounds and music um, leading to a sort of a really interesting way of telling story. And also something that we found, it's far more likely that people experience auditory hallucinations as opposed to visual hallucinations. And possibly again in film, that's something because it's a, a visual art that uh, filmmakers previously have concentrated on, that people see stuff that isn't there or see characters talking to them who aren't real. Um, and whilst that's, that's true and it happens, um, it's kind of less common than the auditory side of things. That makes sense. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm David Campbell. And I've got a question for you, Tim. Um, what was the genesis of, of this story? How, how did you come, uh, how, did you, how did you get the idea great to do this film? Um, it came to me quite sort of fully formed, the idea of a schizophrenia love story. And that leads to going, well, I want to tell a hopeful story about this condition. But there's a couple of uh, sort of motivations to that uh, historically. So I live in the village of Roslyn, which is just south of Edinburgh. Um, and just over the Glen from us was somewhere called Roslyn Lee, which is a former psychiatric hospital. So for us growing up, it had this kind of mystique and allure to it. And we, we knew people who went there, there. So that was always something that kind of lodged in my mind from early on and then I went to drama school uh, down in London and graduated in 2001 I went to drama center and there was a play on at the time called Blue Orange I don't know if you're aware of it it's by Joe Pennell who subsequently become uh, a well-known screenwriter but he told this story he often um, had plays which were about mental health um, and he told this fascinating story about a young black man's experience of being diagnosed with schizophrenia and being in hospital but also the kind of the power structures at play there so in terms of how you telling that story through the prism of race and racism um, and also in a sort of crumbling underfunded NHS environment what's his experience like as a patient but also what the doctor's experience is like as well so it's a really fascinating disturbing um piece and that had a massive impact on me and i thought that's a fascinating story i'm really interested in this idea of schizophrenia and so we wind forward to 2012 when i had my previous film the space between which is an edinburgh love story and we were touring that around and i was thinking yeah i want to make another film so what am i going to give five years of my life to uh, and what am i really fascinated by and that that's where the schizophrenia love story re-emerged so you, you took you five years to come up with, to work on a story, work on the projects. Obviously, it meant that you got to shoot before uh, COVID. Uh, what has that been like since you shot 
at the move-in so it's ready just before the lockdown? We've had probably like everyone in the country, huge ups and downs with with COVID. So we know people who have passed away. Um, lockdown is doing very strange things to all of us. Um, we have a 70-month-old baby, so that's been a huge beacon of hope and light for us. Um, but it's been a real tough time. So in terms of actually having a film that you want to get people together to watch in cinemas, that that meant that we had to shelve all our plans. Um, and then things started to move online. So, so in July, we actually kicked off at a festival which had moved the bulk of its work online, and that was the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival. So for us as Scots, and having this story, it was real important to screen with them. And it gave us a window of opportunity for a week in which anyone could watch the film um, at their leisure and then respond. And then there was a Q&A and all the groovy things of film festivals. Uh, and up until then, we didn't know if anyone was going to like the film or it was going to resonate with them or if they were really going to take against what we were doing or trying to do. And we discovered this tremendous feedback. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, so that gave us a real spur to go, actually, good, this film is finding an audience who like it so we're going to try and do more online screenings but what we really want are cinemas we want to bring people together and and showcase the film where it's going to look and sound best so that's why when as soon as um, cinemas started reopening in england because scotland was a wee bit delayed wee bit after um we contacted genesis and said we're so excited about coming to london and screening in so the film's got a screening at Genesis Cinema. Um, they were really excited about uh, showcasing it. And we just can't wait to show the film on a big screen where it looks and sounds best and do a Q&A afterwards and really um, get a sense of what an audience is making of it there. Um, and also the thing with, like I was talking about earlier, with this idea of creating soundscapes and, and having audit tree hallucinations and doing quite expressive stuff with sound of course in a cinema that's gonna hopefully be extraordinary and that's really what we want to find out about excellent you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm uh, i'm marcus e Ako. and i'm david campbell and we're talking to writer producer uh, director actor uh, tim barrow about his new film uh, Riptide, which is a uh, a love story, as a schizophrenia love story. Now, you, I mentioned all of those credits that you had for this particular project. Obviously, you're juggling so many hats on a film set. What kind of tips would you give to aspiring filmmakers who are looking to dive into uh, into filmmaking, who are going to are considering juggling acting, writing, directing, producing? What did you find was the hardest part of doing all of that? And what did you find were some of the techniques that allowed you to be able to deal with that? Firstly, people have just got to make films. Um, so from whatever your standpoint is, whether you're directing or writing or acting or doing lots of it, um, just go and make them. If you've got a story you're burning to tell, go and tell it, find a way. It is a tremendous experience. It's a huge learning curve making your first film or your 90th film and you get to work with the most wonderful people. So I love working with composers and uh, sound people and makeup as well as uh, cinematographers and other actors. 
Um, it's very hard to wear all the other hats and know what's required of you at any specific time. But with film, it takes a long time to make, so you can break it up more easily. On set, I guess, um, the acting and directing is the balance that you've got to strike, but you've got loads of people around you who can help out with that. So our cinematographer is a guy called Robbie Jones. And Robbie's terrific. He's very talented, but he's got a great film mind. And so he was on board since the beginning looking at scripts. He actually persuaded me after an initial draft to make the film because it was a daunting prospect. And I thought, well, it's what point? Um, and really persuaded me it was a good idea to attempt it. Uh, so you wind forward a few years after we've done research we've got a script somewhere on set and he's someone who's able to look at performance and say okay Tim I think I think we've got it or maybe we should go again strictly in terms of performance and that's incredibly helpful but also being an actor I'm used to being surrounded by an ensemble of actors and we all kind of help each other out or have bits of advice um, so I knew that territory and having seen a film through from origin to completion in our previous film The Space Between whilst wearing those hats, producing, writing, directing, acting. I knew I could do it. Theoretically, I knew I could do it. Um, so that massively helped as well. But I think it's, film's a collaborative process. So if you find all those people, if you're a new filmmaker, um, or whatever stage of career you're at, it's all about the people you're working with. Everyone's gonna make each other look good. Everyone's hopefully gonna bring their best work and talents to the table. And hopefully you're making something that you're all fully invested in and, and really proud of at the end of it. I, it. It's a great endeavor to be able to tackle all of those things at the same time. Um, I, the last time I ever tried to do that, I almost had a nervous breakdown. So I have to respect <laughs> all the people who are willing to, to jump at that. Um, so uh, you, as you said, you had your screening, you're having your screening with Genesis. What's going to happen um, going forward? How do the rest of the audience who aren't able to make it to the Genesis how will we be able to see this movie? We wanted to do a lot of cinema screenings. Um, unfortunately, COVID had other ideas. So this Genesis screening is very much dipping the toe in the water and seeing, okay, is this, what's this experience like? And how's it gonna work? So in Scotland, our cinemas have only just opened and uh, the reports about COVID are not good. We know the infection rates are keep going up. So we might be facing a situation where cinemas have to close again, which would just be dreadful. So I think with us, we've got a few more festivals in the autumn. Um, these are all online. They're all in uh, the US as well. So we've got one in Chicago and one in Florida and one which is very much a virtual thing. Usually they have screenings in New York and LA, but this is purely a virtual thing this time in November. So there will be opportunities online to log in and view stuff but i think it'll be probably next year hopefully next spring before we're actually bringing the film back to cinemas yeah because you obviously have to allow covid to take to run its course and allow people to be um to be confident enough to go into the cinemas otherwise you have to watch it online uh, and that's one of the things that we've been experiencing with the last with a few uh, uh filmmakers um we had uh tom uh, tom Patton, tom payton who came on the show and he did one of his virtual screenings uh, for, for one of his movies. 
Um, so how can we get the link? Are we going to be able to get a link to be able to watch one of your virtual screenings? I think so. If it's cool with you, I mean, you can find all the info at our website. So that's riptidethefilm.co.uk. Um, and I'd love to keep you updated with what we're doing. Hopefully that's cinema screenings at some point very soon, uh, more of them. But it will probably be a case of going screening these festivals in October and November. So if people are really keen to check out the film, they can, they can watch them that way as long as the, the festivals are doing stuff, a, a worldwide thing. And if not, I mean, if depending on what happens with COVID, we might be forced to, um, or not forced to, but to, we might have the opportunity to bring, put the film online and people can watch it on YouTube or Vimeo On Demand um, straight away. Because that probably won't detract from cinema screenings because we will do them next year at some point when it's safe. And no, we're absolutely happy to help in any way that we can. We're going to be putting the link to your website, to the links on all our social media, as well as the, uh, the show notes for the podcast when it goes out. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm David Campbell. And I'd just uh, really like to um, just ask, you're an actor-director, but you're also a playwright as well, aren't you? I am, yes. And I know that you did one play in particular called, um, was it Act of Union or Union? And yeah. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was a few years ago. That was 2014. And in Scotland, we had an um, independence referendum in 2014. So I had the script kicking about for a few years. And it was staged at Lyceum Theatre here in Edinburgh. Um, and it was called Union. And it was because I didn't know anything about how Scotland and England were joined in the Act of Union in 1707 and all the sort of political chicanery that went on then um, and what was going on and all the historical figures like the Londoner Daniel Defoe was up in Edinburgh working as a spy for um, a faction in the English Parliament and all this like really juicy dramatic stuff. And we had um, Queen Anne who was on stage, who was... Um, who was gay, but had also uh, suffered 17 miscarriages. Um, so all this really horrific stuff. Um, and we put it on stage and it was terrific. It was a brilliant thing. Uh, it was an absolute joy to be part of. And it was, it, it felt like a good thing to do that we should know our history about how Great Britain was formed in 1707 and um, who was for it and who was against it. Because uh, it can only shed light on what's going on now in current days. So, so we, possible, oh, sorry. sorry, sorry, Karen. This is the problem no, of being on on Zoom. You you don't always get the visual cues about when when and who's going to speak. So, so carry on, Mark. Yep. Sorry. Oh no! All I, all I was going to ask was, as you've done, so you've, you're a playwright. You've also now moved into um, cinema. All I was going to ask was, are you planning on going back to the stage? I know, obviously, um, COVID. Uh, preventing COVID is preventing stage plays to be put on. Um, is there a, is there a plan for you to? Well, I guess that could come into the what's next for Tim Barrow. Are you looking at doing more stage work, or are you looking to do more in film and and uh, cinema? What is what is next for Tim Barrow? Oh, I want to do everything. But in terms of um, what's on the ground, next year is going to be, I think, pretty exciting in terms of taking Riptide out and about, uh, so more festivals, more cinema screenings, um, uh, stuff online, uh, bringing out DVDs, Blu-rays, so as a producer that's going to probably keep me pretty busy. Uh, 
In terms of theatre, God, yeah, there's uh, something we've done at the Edinburgh Fringe for the last two years. It was cancelled this year, of course. Um, we performed a site-specific play at a football stadium. So Heart of Midlothian, one of the football teams in Edinburgh. And we performed a play called The War of Two Halves. And this was set in 1914. And he had a football team of hearts who were chasing the title. And they had a great team. But then First World War happened. And the bulk of this squad volunteered to go and fight in the trenches. And lots of them never came back. So we did a specific, um, a site-specific retelling of that story. Uh, and that was, without doubt, the best theatre experience I've ever been part of. Because you had people who were related to these people come and see the show. You're dealing with football fans, so they know the story. It's their stadium. They, they know the pitch. They come into the dressing rooms. They go and see a first World War trench. Um, so we were, we're going to stage that again next year. Um, and we're also, we've got a show about women's football, which is... Uh, a cast of women telling the story of how the football authorities banned women's football in 1921. So 100 years later, we tell that story. Uh, so again, we do a, a story with, with songs and with music um, and with all these, I don't know, six or seven female actors kind of multi-rolling and telling the story of women playing football back in First World War. That's, I mean, that is a, it's an exciting story, uh, Tim, that you come back. It's great to see that you are not daunted by what is happening uh, in the world around us because there, we're hearing news about, uh, you know, various like stage plays being shut down. We're hearing, uh, you know, the film industry is trying its best to reboot, and trying to get back in and, and do things only to have certain setbacks. I mean, we heard recently about the Batman um uh, production having to shut down because someone from the cast uh, contracted COVID. There are rumors as to who it was, but you know, it's it's sort of if the big boys are experiencing that sort of a punch, uh, independent filmmakers such as yourself uh, obviously are straining to be able to do that as well. What is your plan of attack to be able to uh, to say, look, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to carry on with my project. What are you planning on doing for your, your future projects? I think in the indie world, people can move a bit faster and we can adapt quicker, probably because we have to, and there's less money. Um, so in terms of shooting another film, um, uh, my cinematographer, Robbie Jones, is currently on set filming something today, uh, the first time in ages. And of course, they're, they've got, uh, safety precautions and everything but it's showing that it is possible with a tiny crew to go and do stuff so it might be that we decide next year if things if we don't have a particularly great winter and we go into lockdown or all the sort of dreaded stuff which I really hope doesn't happen and I kind of think it won't I think I don't know I, I don't know I don't attempt fate um we can conceivably start shooting stuff next year um if that's what dictates. If we can, we'll stage some theater shows, which we've kind of got ready to go. Um, and I think hopefully, say we don't get in cinemas for a wee while, okay, fine. We'll, we'll keep on with these virtual film festivals and then we might do our own things about bringing people together and hosting watch parties or um, sort of having filmmaker Q and A's online or having panel events to do with people in the field of schizophrenia. Um, there's quite a lot of possibilities, aside from actual cinema screening. So I hope, I hope we get to the cinemas. That's really what I want to be doing next year. Um, but if not, there's fallback plans. And 
I guess artists in these times have proved how adaptable they can be in the face of all this kind of tragedy and strangeness. And we, we do our best to help you out as best as we can. David, go for it. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to ask, um, have you got anything in the pipeline now that you're um, researching for a new film? Yeah, there's a few bits and pieces. Um, I don't want to be too specific, but since we've been doing research into uh, mental health conditions and psychosis, there's other stories which have emerged, which I'm drawn to, and particularly from people, whether the people who've experienced psychosis or people who work with them. So I'm, I guess, like a lot of people, I've been really struck by just the, the magnificence and strength and dedication of uh, nurses during these times. So um, nurses who work with psychiatric patients or nurses who work with the police or judiciary, um, I'm interested in some stories there. So there's a lot of research going on at the moment in terms of those things. Um, it does take, in terms of doing justice to them, it'll take quite a while to keep researching and writing. So I don't have anything sort of oven ready at the moment. But Riptide is, and um, a little 17 month old baby is keeping me <laughs> incredibly busy at the moment. Yeah, that, that's, that's your man. Yeah, exactly. That's a big project that you're working on at the moment. That's the, the, what you have that you're going to be using the next few months to, to, to grow and flourish and, and make its announcement into the, to the world. Uh, if people want to follow you on social media, how can they do that? Oh, they can check us out on Facebook. So we've got Riptide. Um, that's a group. Uh, so we keep posting all the new stuff in there. They can check out uh, our film website, which thank you for um, promoting that. And also on Twitter, uh, the specific Riptide handle is at Jacob and Eva. That's our two main characters in the film. So we'll, but um, and on Instagram as well, uh, we're Riptide the film. So we'll just, uh, sorry, we're Lara Films. So we'll just keep spreading the messages in those ways and just seeing how we can go. But I do appreciate this. Thank you very much. It's lovely to talk to you. And it's great that um, you're able to give a platform to an indie filmmaker like me as well. Just for um, people out there listening, um, the film website is riptidethemovie.co.uk. Uh, sorry, riptidethefilm.co.uk. Sorry, I've, I've been watching too many rip, um, American films. And it's I was just about to give but, producer Dave the props that he was like, he's on it, he gets things done, and just he went and stumbled in the last second. Yeah, and, okay, well, you know, these things happen. So, okay. Uh, and Tim, we, we, we were happy to, to sort of promote, uh, as, to do as much as we can to make sure that you're... Uh, your film reaches as many people as especially in these times but even even with, before this these times we're happy to help as much as we can as soon as we are able to get back in the studio would love to have you come in sit down with us talk about all the future projects that you have going on uh, and even some back back projects as well and give us more goss and more uh, more stories that you can tell us about mark uh, mark brown and dave whitney dave whitney's in in your in your in riptide isn't he he is indeed. I, I absolutely love him as an actor. There's no one like him. Um, and he's, he's brilliant. He's got great quality. And he's, uh, he plays a psychiatrist in this film. Yeah, Dave Whitney's a larger-than-life character. Uh, it's, did, just, okay, did he try at any point to play, to play the bagpipes in your film? 
No, he didn't. But um, I got married in September and he was the best man. And we didn't ask him to play the pipes, which he does because he had plenty of other things to do. And we thought he might want to enjoy the later part of the evening. But um, one of the final moments of the wedding was him on stage grabbing the pipes from one of the pipers and playing some tunes. So <laughs> any chance he'll get. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I was, I was wondering. It was like, you know, he, he, he could, he would be suggesting, if I were him, I would have suggested, I can, you know, do this particular um, session <laughs> character, but while I'm tuning my bagpipes at the same time, I just come back from a show. And so I didn't have time to drop it. And so let's do this as well. But uh, that, um, for, for a lot of people who aren't fans of bagpipes are like, thank you. Otherwise we wouldn't have watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very yeah, much for joining us. Uh, and like I said, as soon as you get the opportunity, we'd love to have you back on the show. Oh, I'd love that. Thanks, Marcus and David. It's great. It's great talking to you. Great talking Thank to you as well. So that was Tim Barrow talking about Riptide. Like I said earlier, we're going to put in links to uh, his social media and how you can find out more about the film in the show notes, which will be coming out as a podcast on Monday. Uh, and if you want to follow him on, on social media, do so. Follow us on social media. We'll post all his details and let you know more about the film. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, and now it's time for Top 5 Favorites. So this week, uh, I came prepared. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I had to take that shot. No, producer Dave has been working real hard uh, trying to get, trying to work through COVID and uh, not work through COVID, not that you have COVID or whatever, but all the limitations caused by the pandemic to get this show into your ears and for you to listen to me babble on about the films that I like. So I'm going to use this opportunity to do my top five favorite TV shows that I've been watching in the last few weeks that I am binging and I recommend, highly recommend that you all watch. And I'm going to start from five and go down to number one. And my number five that I put on the list is Cobra Kai. Now, if any of you uh, grew up with the Karate Kid movies from back in the 80s uh, about Johnny, who was taught by Mr. Miyagi how to fight against uh, Johnny. Well, no, no, I keep calling him Johnny. It's not Johnny, it's Danny. Danny LaRusso. I don't know why I kept calling him Johnny. Uh, Danny LaRusso uh, battling or battling bullies in this in, in 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 the valley, and he's trained by Mr. Miyagi to be able to win the martial arts contest. Anyway, we fast forward. This the show starts. It's two season uh, show so far that is on Netflix. It was on uh, YouTube before YouTube Red, I believe, but they've now moved it onto Netflix. And the story follows on not following Danny as the protagonist anymore. But instead, instead following uh, the, um, jo jo that's why I keep calling him Johnny, following Johnny, who is Johnny Lawrence, who was the one that was beaten by Danny LaRusso in the, at the end of the first film. You know, the one with the crane kick. And if you, if you remember the crane kick, Johnny Lawrence is the one who gets kicked in the face and he loses the battle. And the show starts from that point with a time jump uh, to 30 years later, where you now see uh, Johnny working as a janitor slash handyman, if you will, and his life has pretty much gone down the pan. While Danny Larusso's has skyrocketed, and so on, and it's a great comedy, 
Cobra Kai. You need to check it out. It's on Netflix. I've, I binged watched season one in a day. I can't, each episode is about 30 minutes long maximum. And there are about what, 10 episodes a season, something like that. I binge watched the entire first season in one day. I'm quite proud of that because it is just, it's fantastic. It, Johnny set the, re, uh, you know, reignites the Cobra Kai dojo and he has, he starts getting bullied kids coming in and he's training them, but obviously not in the Mr. Miyagi technique, but in the way Cobra Kai would train them. And that's why it's so good. It's, he's an anti-hero, but he's fantastic. Cobra Kai, recommend you go and see him. Number four for me, um, Umbrella Academy. I've talked about it nonstop. I binged watched the second season in two days. So not as about two, two and a half days. Umbrella Academy follows uh, five or six kids. I can't remember exactly how many, how many kids. Uh, and they are, they were all born on the same day. They were adopted by a, uh, a mysterious rich man who has intentions to utilize them because he discovers that they all have uh, superpowers and he cultivates them into what is supposed to be a superhero team. The first season ends with, well, well the first season begins with the death of the father. And the kids who have all pretty much been scattered across the earth or whatever and beyond have to come together for the funeral. And a, one, of the, one of the children has gone missing but before, says, and the child comes back to kickstart the action and it's fantastic. The child is number is referred to as number five because that's how the dad named all of them. And it, it's it's a it's a highly imaginative TV show. It's from a graphic novel of the same name. Second season is for me is just as good as the first season because while they still keep the characters, they keep they keep their motivation, their style, etc. They shift time, if you will, and it's so it's it's the same wacky unpredictable nature of the show but in a different setting and it still works it's still very very good go check it out umbrella academy yeah well i've been watching that as well i'm, I'm not as far ahead as and as, into it as you are um it brings to mind to me x-men because of the setup but you get rid of professor x right away in in a sense but also one of the features that i like about it is the fact that you see both young and old but one character remains the same throughout and i i thought that was a really interesting twist uh, i really like that as well um for musos out there and for people start stopping uh, start spotting um check out mary j blige because she's in this as well and you need to see her she's another she's another um, musician who's gone into acting and she's starting to get really good props in it. She was nominated for an Oscar uh, for a film she did not too long ago. I can't remember the name of the film and I still need to see it, but yeah. Um, and Brenna was, it mud, was, it mud, was she Mudbound or was that not? I, oh gosh, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking to check out some of her stuff because yeah, she's uh, pretty good. So yeah, Umbrella Academy, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of like watching through that as well, but not at the speed of um, Marcus. Well, I, I doubt anybody can compare, can, well, not anyone, I'm not going to brag, I, but I seriously, I, it's not healthy the way I consume television films. It's not because you should all have lives that you live properly, but, you know, don't do like I do and consume it the way I do, but I don't think you can challenge it. Okay, so I'll, I'll move on to my number three. My number three is currently on Skype, um, 
on Sky Catch Up, or uh, if, you, if you have Sky, you can check it out. It's called Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country is set in the in, in the fifties, and it follows a young African American uh, marine, you know, soldier comes back from the Second World War, comes back from uh, you know the battle in uh, in Japan, Japan, right? Yes. Anyway, he comes back. Obviously, we're talking. South is, you know, we're talking American racism, etc. And he comes back to go and find, he's in search for his missing father. And he goes on a road trip with his uncle and a, a childhood friend to go into what is referred to as Lovecraft country, which is kind of the deep South America. And if you're familiar with any of, uh, is it HP Lovecraft? I, I, I keep yeah, HP Lovecraft, yeah. If you're, if you're, you, you often hear the terms Love, Lovecraftian, um, Tom Patton, when he comes on the show, always talks about his earlier movies being Lovecraftian, where basically monsters and gigantic creatures coming out of, you know, from, from different dimensions and from hellscapes, etc. This TV show is full of that. In fact, it, it kicks off the episode, the first episode kicks off with, with kind of a dream sequence. And it's not me, um, it, it's, it's, it's not difficult to see there's a dream sequence because he starts off as a soldier, he's in the trenches, he's battling people in the trenches and he climbs out of the trench, goes on top. And the first thing he sees when the wide scape of the battleground is massive tripod type, uh, you know, aliens from War of the Worlds and a massive gigantic monster jumps out and an alien drops down to come and rescue him. And then another demon tries to come and get him and is smashed to bits by Jackie Robinson with his bat. And that's just the start. It's a great show. Um, I'm about two, I'm three episodes in. Uh, I, but at the start of the third episode, my thoughts immediately went to uh, American Horror Story, where American Horror Story each season it kind of focuses on a different style of, you know, different style of horror movie trope. And they focus with different, the same actors playing different characters. I thought that was the way they were going. It's not, but it's great. Full of ethnically, well, I say ethnically, African-American characters. You have, uh, you have uh, Jada, Jada Harris, you have Journey Smollett, you have Courtney B. Vance, Michael, uh, Michael K. Williams. Those of you know Michael K. Williams from The Wire. Anything he's in, I think he's amazing. And I ranted about uh, Courtney B. Vance recently on another film that he was on. I love him. I grew up watching him uh, completely. And he's got Wumi uh, Mosak uh, Mosaku. You recognize her face. She's, she's a British actress. You recognize her in a lot of stuff that she's been doing. Uh, and she pops up in this fullest American accent. Uh, that's my number three, Lovecraft Country. My number two is a doubleheader, Mr. Mercedes and Un. Mr. Mercedes is uh, based on a Stephen King novel, uh, and it follows sort of a dichotomy. Well, it follows it follows two storylines. It follows a, psycho a psychopathic killer who starts off the, the show. The film starts off, or the TV show starts off, with uh, the killer getting into a Mercedes and crashing into a group of people, killing about eighteen of them. And then the story jumps about three years forward, where uh, the, the uh, where people haven't, they still haven't caught him, and he follows the investigator, the, the detective who's now retired, played by played brilliantly by uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, and, and he's trying to track it. So it's three seasons long. Check it out. It's on um, it's on Stars, which you can get on Amazon Prime. The other one is Undone, which is on Amazon Prime. It's kind of animated. 
uh, it's a nicely styled animation and it's about this woman who's afraid of uh, having sort of contracted schizophrenia kind of tie into our interview today she's afraid that she's going to have schizophrenia because her grandmother was um, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and she thinks it's gone part down the line um, uh, but this is all kicks off when she has an accident and she starts seeing her dead father and her dead father is talking to her and telling her that she can actually turn time or play around with time jump back in time and he wants her to go back in time and find out who killed him or why he got killed and it, it's a it's it's very very funny but very touching and the animation style is it's it's good it's i mean it's don't worry about the animated style the animation style is mainly there to be able to allow for them to be able to play around with the way the story progresses but it's called undone it's one season i'm almost at the end i've got one more episode to go it's a great show so that's my number two mr mercedes and undone you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 m i'm marcus e Ako. and i'm david campbell David, do you have any other TV shows that you want to recommend really quickly just before? Very quickly, I, I'm going to go back and recommend Ragnarok again. Um, I, I actually watched it um, again in bits. Um, and I actually do think it's a really, really good show. Uh, kind of throws out the, tro- the, the super superhero trope, puts it on another level. And actually, to be quite honest, the, sto- the theme, the storyline does relate to uh, what we were talking about with uh, Tim, uh, someone with uh, a condition that he needs to manage. And, um, but throughout that, uh, finding that he's got superhero powers um, or discovering towards the end that he's got superhero powers and not being as totally whack as um, people have been trying to intimate. So yeah, that Protector, I've been watching that as well and uh, catching up with that and a few other bits and pieces on uh, Netflix. So Lovecraft Country is one of those on the list. It's in my, my list of bits and pieces to watch on Netflix. And I've, it's, th- that list is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm still, you know, with 10 episodes per like, series sometimes, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So, you know. I'm just going to tell you, take Lovecraft Country off the list and inject it into your veins immediately because it is amazing. It's a great show. You need to check it out. Anyway, my number one, I've been ranting about this. Anytime I talk about it, I rant about it. So I'm not going to talk too much about it because obviously we need to wrap up. The Boys It's on Amazon Prime. It's got Carl Urban in it. It's got a number of, Simon Pegg was in the first season. Uh, It had Elizabeth Shue as well. She's in it. And it's uh, from the... Uh, the the graphic novel written by Gareth Ennis and it's been the TV show is created by the same person who did Supernatural is violent it is sweary it is awesome check out the boys second season is just dropped dropping episode after episode episode five is dropping tonight Friday you can, it's dropping today um, I'm gonna be You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank you all very much for tuning in, staying with us, listening to us rant about TV shows and movies and whatnot. I've been Marcus Iaco. I'm David Campbell. I'm going to just quickly point in one more thing that I've been watching, and um, it's just popped back into my mind. Doom Patrol. How could I forget about Doom Patrol? It's it's one of those uh, programs that I really, really enjoyed. The disparate characters that are involved in there and the storylines are just mad and it's been 
it's on season two at the moment uh, that's available there is going to be a season three there's got to be a season three because um it's just so wonderful such a brilliant show I agree 100%. I was going to put it on my list, but I was going to put it with Miss M- Mr. Mercedes, but then I just caught Undone. That's why I wanted to put that on there. Anyway, uh, here. I've been Marcus E. Paco. I'm David Campbell. Thank you, thank you very much for listening, and see you all next week, or hear you all next week. Yeah. <laughs>